Now, let's talk a little bit about the particular judgment and about the final judgment, okay? Scripture says, it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment. That's Hebrews 9, 27. So when we close our eyes, we are judged instantly. That is our particular judgment, our person, you know? Some Hollywood movies have described it as being taken into a heavenly viewing room and seeing your, your life as a movie. You know, however it is, there is evidence through the scriptures and in tradition that there will be some sort of review of, your, of our lives. It says the things that we thought were secret will be shouted from the rooftops. Guys, there are no secrets. There is no, there's no such thing as a secret sin. Why? Because for one thing, we have our guardian angel right there. <laughs> and, and wouldn't it be nice if we'd remember that a little more often? We know it once, in other words, we're not going to be kept into suspense is what I'm trying to say, okay? We're not going to be like fall asleep and then go through this, you know, grading period and then, and then find out, well, for now, we'll keep you here. But then if you don't behave, well, you know, no. We will know right then and there what our final end will be. And I am here to tell you that it won't be a surprise to any of us. God is not going to hide the ball. He doesn't. If, we, if our whole life is wanting to know him and serve him and love him to the best of our fallen capabilities, he's going to give us what, he, what we want. But if we live our life as if he didn't exist, if we shut him out from every meaningful interaction in our lives, if we act like the rest of everybody else of the culture and we just live lives of practical atheism and practical apostasy, God is going to give us what we want. God is going to give us what we think we want, which is not him. Well, I have, there's another word for not him. And what is that word? But God sends nobody to hell. We send ourselves. Why? Because we're just going after what we think is good. And God sends us graces, and he sends us helps, and he sends us peoples, and he sends us all kinds of, of, of witnesses. But we have free will. We can choose not to pay any attention. We can choose to be so caught up so that we ignore those moments of grace. But those moments of grace continue. And what helps those moments of grace to present themselves even more frequently? The prayers of those around us. So you have that family member, or you have that friend, and you say, oh my gosh, when will they ever open their eyes? They're the kind of person that Jesus Christ could come to earth today and raise 10 people right in front of him from the dead, and they would still find an angle <laughs> as to why that's not true, and that's just a scam, and you know, right? There are people that even the signs, even the physical signs, are not going to be enough, right? Why? Because their eyes are closed. They're blinded. Their, their, their hearts are hardened. That whole biblical metaphor is a great example because it really shows how the heart is hard. It's hard. It's, 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 not, it's not permeable. It just repels the truth. And the only way, because it is a spiritual problem, the only way to improve that spiritual problem is how? Through in a spiritual means, through prayer. And that's where you all come in. That's where the church ladies and the church guys come in. The holy rollers. And aren't you taking this a bit too seriously? And how many times are you going to church? And uh, you're doing your homework about what? 
What, what is that you're doing? Okay, so fine, whatever. You know, we can take it. We're big boys and girls. The time, we need to realize that we might be the one person who can stand in the gap for our loved ones. We might be the one person who can offer sacrifice for our loved ones. We might be the one person who can make that one difference. Because, you know, I don't know how many of you all have experienced this. We might be made fun of and we might be considered narrow and, and judgmental and all that stuff. But when the chips are down and people are suffering, you're that one person they want to talk to. You're that one person they're asking. Now, you remember that um, what we were taught, you know. Why? Because when the chips are down, people can't rely on themselves. They know that they are building on straw somehow, right? And they want the person who has the certainty. The per they want what you have. Guys, the best example of evangelism is I want what you have. I don't know how you got there. I don't know what you're doing, but I want your peace I w that transcends your circumstances. I want your joy. So what is our example? Is our example of sour-faced Christians, you know, always complaining about stuff. How are you? And then you're afraid they're going to tell you how they are. <laughs> what is our, which is not to mean to say that we shouldn't share deeply with one another, but there are, there are appropriate settings for that, okay? There are appropriate settings for being vulnerable and transparent, which is what we're called to do with one another. But we're also called to be salt and light, right? So how are you going to be salt and light if you're all wrapped up about yourself? about your stuff, your problems. So we were talking about the particular judgment. So we, we're pretty clear on the particular judgment. It occurs at, right after our death. And then we have, of course, the church teaches the final judgment. At the end of time when Jesus returns, there will be the general judgment. Matthew 25, 31, 32. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. In this general judgment, all our sins will be publicly revealed. And that's also Luke 12. Augustine says in the city of God, temporary punishments are suffered by some in this life only, by others after death, and by others both now and then. But all of them before that last and strictest judgment. So the, the, the time of purgatory occurs between the particular judgment and the final judgment, okay? We're not going to have a, you know, eternal purgatory. Temporary, it is a temporary condition by its very nature, okay? A condition, a state of being, not necessarily a place, right? So, some people might say, well, the word purgatory is not in the Bible. Well, neither is Trinity. Neither is the word incarnation. I mean, many of the, of the words of the doctrines that we believe are not in the scriptures, and as Catholics, we believe that the fullness of our, of our deposit of faith is presented by the scriptures as one of the three pillars of the faith, by the sacred tradition, as mediated through magisterial teaching. So the three together give us believe. We do not believe only in sola scriptura, which is only the Bible. The Bible is one of the three pillars. And that is how we derive this, this understanding of doctrines that may not be named by name in the scriptures. They're there in seed form. Obviously, I wouldn't have been able to give you all these scriptural proofs if they weren't there. But we've had people, great and deep thinkers, who from the very beginning of the church and even before have been thinking about this kind of stuff.
You know, we have St. Ambrose. St. Ambrose was St. Augustine's mentor. St. Jerome. Okay, this is again, fourth century. St. Augustine, St. Gregory. Origen, Origen is third century. And also Cyril of Jerusalem in the third century. And we have Tertullian referring to the prayer of the dead. Tertullian was a North African lawyer who was martyred in 202, 201 AD. All right, so... When we get back from break, we'll talk about the understanding of the very early church of the prayers for the dead. Let's take a 10-minute break. As I was uh, explaining before, I had a couple of questions during the break. The time of purgation occurs right after we die, which is our particular judgment. It occurs for however long it's supposed to occur. And then at that point, we go to heaven. The, fi the final judgment, which is also the end of days, the end of the world, when the Lord wraps up the universe like a toy and puts it back in his toy box, as Peter Kreft says, will be whenever it is. And for some of us, the final judgment might occur while we're still in purgatory. But hopefully not. You know, you understand the idea is that we're not waiting for the final judgment. Plus, there is no change in our condition. The particular judgment, right, what we sustain once we have died in our bodies, ourselves, by ourselves, determines at that point where we will spend eternity. There's no revision at the final judgment. You understand what I'm saying? They're not going to say, oh, we let you in. You kind of squeaked in there, but oh, there's been a mistake. No. <laughs> They're not going to say that. It's you are given your permanent birth, as it were, at the particular judgment. And you may just have to go through some, you know, purification in order to get there. Does that make sense? Is that a, 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 more, a, a clarification? Okay. Um, so that's kind of where the final judgment and the particular judgment stand. Now, we know that Jesus saved us through his passion and the resurrection. Somebody was just telling me that they had somebody ring their doorbell yesterday, just last night, and uh, two people were saying, hey, if Jesus died for us on the cross, how come you all, you know, have to believe that there is some form of purification. Isn't Jesus' death enough? Hey guys, Jesus' death is more than sufficient. Jesus' death is the remedy beyond all remedies, and it is so abundant that it's just still spilling over. It will continue to spill over. There is nothing lacking in Jesus' death and satisfaction for our sins. But I did make that distinction to you between the guilt for sin and the temporal result of the sin. People who say that kind of stuff haven't thought the issue through. Because if we, if we were to give them the example of the, the nail in the board and pulling it out, I think it would make sense. It's all tied up with free will, too. You know, if it were just a matter of, it's the difference between kind of some, some um, heavenly, dictator kind of yanking us out of one place and putting us somewhere else and we don't have a whole lot of choice. No, it's Jesus's death die, it gives the atonement and the satisfaction for our sins. But we, one, have to appropriate it. 
obviously. We have to believe in him. We have to obey him. We have to be a part of his church. We have to receive the baptism, etc. And the second thing is, if we should die short of perfection with a few temporal satisfactions still to be made up, we don't have just one or two options. We have a third option that allows us to be purified after death. You see what I'm saying? So it's actually, it's another reflection of God's mercy. It's another way in which God is a perfect, merciful father. And if you're a parent, don't you need a lot of mercy? Don't you need like a lot? Here's a kid back there now nodding his head. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? And just like we needed mercy from our parents. Guys, you know, I didn't really understand the, word, the meaning of the word mercy until I had children. Children in high school specifically. So, okay. So doesn't that make more sense? That God would be merciful, that God would, would offer us, even then he would say, okay guys, and if you come up short, here, there's a final hosing down, but you are still, we're still going home together, right? Okay. So, I mean, that's, I think, I think if we just look at the scriptural evidence, if we look at the evidence from the early fathers, the early understanding of the church, the, the, the scriptural proofs from the Old Testament, I think it all makes sense. Now, Jesus saved us through his passion and resurrection, but it's also true that we can affect how that saving merit is applied to our lives. Why? Because we have free will, right? Do you remember in Paul, Paul says, I make up in myself what is lacking from the sufferings of Christ. Now, isn't that a rather daunting sentence? Because what does that mean? Does that mean that that anything that Jesus could have done would be lacking. No, it's what he's, he's saying that the Father allows us to participate. Just like, and I love this example, if I'm baking a cake and my, when my girls were small and they said, Mommy, let's make brownies. And they'd be like, you know, I don't know, five and three or something like that. And they put their little aprons on and you have the little baby aprons and they put them on and they put them on the stool and, and they, I'm going to help you make brownies. Oh, yes, please help me. Come on, let's go. Let's, let's make brownies. And we made brownies. But who made the brownies? <laughs> I made the brownies. Why, why did I just say to you all, hey, get lost. You're not, you're not going to be very efficient in making these brownies, and we have to make you know. What did I do? Because I was the mother, and I loved them. I allowed them to participate. Why? Because I love them. And why? Because they wanted to. So those are two reasons right there why the Lord would allow us to participate in, in, our own, in working out our own salvation of fear and trembling, and also in applying the merits of the cross. Does that make sense? So, in Romans 5, 3, 5, Paul says that the saving merit of Jesus is applied to our lives as we live holy lives and seek the kingdom. And that is a, a, a term which I call, because I think it it's, it's gives the idea, progressive sanctification. Meaning what? The goal of our lives is to become sanctus, is to become holy, is to become a, an inhabitant of heaven with a heavenly zip code. That is, our, that is our goal. And the process of getting there is called sanctification from the sanctus facere, from the Latin, to become or to make a saint, right? So, but I call it progressive, why? Because it's progressive 
for, for many of us anyway, it's progressive. I don't know, sometimes you read the lives of those saints who at age 10 shut themselves up in their parents' house and lived lives of perfect holiness. That's not me. I don't know about you all. It's not something I could even relate to. There are people, I mean, we do have a human capacity to achieve sanctification, you know, go zero to 60 very quickly. But for most of us, it's the progress of a lifetime. And that's why I wanted to give this idea. It's progressive sanctification. Okay, so that, the, so that the arc is justification, which we appropriate. We, we apply the merits of the cross through our behavior. San progressive sanctification. And in the end, our goal is glorification, which is what? To be in gloriam Dei, in the glory, in the glory of God. Right? Right?